Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thanks, Mary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you feed us with it this morning? Uh, Would you show us uh, your presence? Would you bring us into your presence, Lord? Would you uh, remind us that we are living in your presence and teach us how to live in that presence, Lord? Pray from that presence uh, day in and day out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we work through this psalm, as we talk about the petition, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, we're going to talk about kind of three Three points, of course, okay? We're going to talk about the quicksand of happiness. We're going to talk about the doorway of desperation and the promise of provision. So if you're a note-taking person, there you go. I couldn't think of anything that started with an H that went with happiness, so we just went with quicksand, okay? The quicksand of happiness, the doorway of desperation, and the promise of provision. And when we talk about the, 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 the quicksand of happiness... I want to talk about the mindset that we often bring when we are bringing God the petitions for our daily bread. The mindset that we bring when we bring God our petitions for our daily bread. Where those prayers flow from so often for us. What is true about us as as a people is that we are desperately committed uh, to our own happiness. Right? Right? That's what we are always searching for. It's what we're often thinking about. And we are constantly planning our lives around the question of what is going to make me most happy. And there's a way in which that is, that's a part of the human condition. People have been like that since the dawn of time. There is also a way it is uniquely American. I just finished this book, Everything Sad is Untrue. And I loved it. So as you all know, you're going to be hearing about it a lot in the next few weeks, okay? And it, it's about this refugee who's fled Iran. He's, he's a, a kid. He's here with his mom. And w- one of his observations about American society, he says, I think because in polite American society, they care more if you seem happy than if you're well. That in polite American society, they care more if you seem happy than if you're well. That we are all constantly searching for happiness. It's in our creed, right? In the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That that, when this foundational document, happy birthday, America, right? We just celebrated it. That what we're saying is that what it means to be a human, what it means to be a part of this, of this country is that we are all about pursuing our happiness. And what we'll often do is we'll draft God into that fight, into our plan. Like we have a plan for our happiness and there are parts of that battle plan that we see that we have insufficient resources for. 
like if, if it's like a tactical, like a war room, you know, we've got like the, the enemy lines up and this is how we're going to go here. We draw some arrows and you're like, ah, but it, you know what? I don't think we're going to be able to pull off this maneuver. Let's call in the air power, right? We'll send one up to the big guy. That's how people talk about it. We're just, we'll ask God to do what I can't do for myself. So, Lord, I would really like a new job. I think that would really make me happy, but I can't really seem to get my boss on board for it. So will you, like, will you, kind of, will you come in here and do what I can't do? You guys connect with that at all? That's often how we treat prayer, is calling in for the backup when, when we just can't seem to get our way, get the happiness that we want. And in that kind of way of looking at life, uh, Man, happiness is always out of reach. That happiness is always around the corner. Happiness is always the next thing, the next change. It's always behind the next choice. I was reading an article in the New York Times this last week, and and it talked about these two women who who met on a playground with their kids. uh, And... They, they struck up a friendship, and they started to realize over time uh, they wanted more out of their relationship than a friendship. And so they both kind of started to change around their marriages. One went into an open marriage, and, and then eventually they both left their marriages. They left their husbands, and they, and, and they got married. And the way that the article lays it out is that now these people are happy. They finally got there, Right? that they finally made the choice, they found the thing that made them happy. But what we know about them, because it's true about all of us as people, is that that thing is not actually going to be the thing that gets them happy, that there are still things in their lives that are just around the corner that will really then make them happy. Because that's what it is to be a person. It's like chasing a rainbow. I used to wonder as a kid, you know, because I saw Lucky Charms commercials. Like, can we get, where does it hit the ground? And we know as adult people that's not a place, but we chase happiness that way. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? That's what the psalmist says. That's what we're doing when we chase that kind of happiness, when we believe that happiness is just around the corner, that it's one more change or one more choice or, or, or one more addition in our lives away. That's seeking after lies. And the way that we trick ourselves and everyone else into, into going for it is with vain words, empty words. We can talk about those things ad nauseum, can't we? And prayer just becomes another way that we talk about all of those things that are just around the corner, that if we could just get them, then we could be happy. And what it does in our lives, it doesn't make us any happier. It actually makes us desperately anxious and afraid. It makes us incredibly controlling. Because we have come to believe Uh, that we are far more in control of our lives than we actually are. Like, because we can sit in this beautiful room and it gets hot and we turn on the air conditioner, right? Because of all of the conveniences and comforts of our lives, we have come to believe that our lives are actually these things that we can control. We have come to believe that it is within our power to make ourselves happy with just a change, with just a choice, with just a little bit of extra firepower from the big guy upstairs, but rather than make us happy, it has made us desperately anxious. Because on every choice resides our, uh, our desire for happiness. Because it's always just, just a step away means that I am constantly under pressure to make that thing happen. That if I could just get a little bit more control in my life, then I could finally get the happiness that I desperately long for. 
then what we end up doing is shrinking our happiness down to something that we can control. God, will you give me an A on the test? Make it really small. That's the quicksand of happiness. There is a, there is a, there's more. But wait, there's more. Remember those infomercials? Do those still exist anymore? And this is important, okay? What I'm about to tell you, this is not like you buy one of those little plastic containers you can crack an egg in and then put it in the microwave and it makes your eggs in the shape of an omelet, you know? This is, do you guys ever see that infomercial? Okay, well, it's a thing. Uh, you could probably buy it at Bed Bath & Beyond if it still existed. And, but wait, there's more. It's like saying, but wait, you can now get two of those things, right? Or the, the slap chop, right? Is that, is someone, are you guys familiar with those? You, know, you just... Okay, never mind. Just, this is not me saying there's just more. Just like pray more and then you'll, be, then, then you'll have like a deeper experience. Like just ask for more of those little things that don't really seem to add up. Just call in more firepower. Just more of that prayer and then you'll finally be happy. Because that's often how we talk about tri- prayer, right? Like all the really spiritual people, they spend a long time praying. They just ask over and over and over again. So we'll just say, just do a little bit more of that and, and then it'll get better. That's not the kind of wait there's more that we're talking about. What we're saying is that that kind of prayer that, Lord, give us this day our daily bread when we're praying for all of these little tiny things that don't really add up to anything at all, when we're calling in the extra firepower, it's like standing in the graduated entry of the Y pool uh, with just our ankles and then complaining that the pool is no fun. Of course, that's horrible. It's just very hot. That's because spiritually we're only dipping our ankles in. No, but wait, there's more is saying, come on out into the deep part of the pool. You got to go under that little line with the buoys on it. You know, swim under that. That is where the fun is. Come on out into the, into the deeper water of prayer. And the doorway for that deeper water of prayer, it is our desperation. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You give, you've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Do you hear the desperation there? The psalmist is begging God, God, hear me. God, I'm in distress. I need you to hear me. God, do something for me. Maybe you're reading through the psalms with us this summer, and it's easy when you're, when you're reading these things day in and day out to kind of glaze over that. Answer me when I call. You kind of read it in a sing-song voice. No, this is a prayer of desperation. Someone shaking God, saying, are you there? Do you care? Do you hear me? Because I need you. And that kind of desperation is baked into the request, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't really sound like that, okay? But we're gonna, we're gonna dig into those words a little bit. Give us this day our daily bread. That word daily in the Greek um, is incredibly puzzling to commentators. Because that word, give us this day, our daily, that word daily does not appear anywhere else in the Bible. Nowhere else. There's a special word for it, uh, for those kinds of words. It's called uh, a hapax legomenon. Legomenon. Do, 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 do. Okay? A hapax legomenon. Uh, it's like a whole field of study because those words are so interesting. Like, how do we find out what those words mean if it's not used anywhere else in the Bible? What's the context for it, Right? But here's the other thing about this word. It doesn't appear anywhere else in any Greek literature ever. 
So what are we supposed to do? And also, why? Like, why is that? Okay, what it means is that the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, okay, he heard Jesus preach. He probably heard Jesus teach people the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus didn't, didn't teach in Greek because that wasn't the language that the people that he was teaching spoke in their daily lives. They spoke Aramaic. And we get kind of hints of that throughout the New Testament, like uh, when the New Testament uses the word Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. Uh, we see that when Jesus is on the cross and he's, and he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In one of the Gospels, it captures that in Aramaic, and I'm not going to say it to you because I can't say it. But, but we have these, these hints, right, that Jesus was speaking and preaching in Aramaic. And so Matthew is taking what he heard in Aramaic and he's putting it into Greek. But what he's saying is there is no Greek word that captures what this request actually means, so he makes up a word, which is great for the early church who like, knew Aramaic and knew what Matthew was talking about, but it's kind of challenging for the rest of us. So there's this guy, Kenneth Bailey, he wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and he kind of strips down a lot of the Gospels and takes us back to from someone who was living in the ancient Near East. What would they hear when they heard this prayer? And he kind of works backwards from all of the kind of most reasonable interpretations and asks, what is the word under all of these words that could give us all of these interpretations? And this is what he says. He says that the, give us this day our daily bread is most likely a prayer. God, give us a bread that does not run out. Give us the bread that we need for today and give us the bread that we need for tomorrow. But it's more than that. It's God, give us the bread that we want for the day and give us the bread that we want for tomorrow. It's God, give us a bread that never runs out. God, give us an everlasting bread. Guys, what? What does that mean? That's, like, that's a silly prayer, isn't it? How would, how would God answer that? Give us everlasting bread. How, how practical is that? Talk about desire. This isn't, God, would you give me an A and a test? God, would you give me a bread that is so filling would you provide for me so consistently that I would never have to worry again? Would you nourish me to the point where I am never nervous about where my next meal is going to come from? God, would you show me your goodness? Would you shower me with your goodness to the point that I become so convinced of your goodness that I am not ever living out of anxiety ever again? Give us this day our daily bread. As a prayer of desperation, and what that means is that I think that when Jennifer said that she had an unspoken, maybe she was a lot closer to the heart of God than I was as a middle schooler. Because what she was saying in her, in her middle school way is that there were things in her heart that she was so desperate for that she could not entrust them to a pimply 12-year-old boy sitting next to her. And she was probably right about that. Right, that, if, that if what is in Jennifer's mind is, God, I, I hate the way that I look. God, would you do something about that? Yeah, that's a prayer of desperation. God, my parents are always fighting, and I don't know how to make it stop, but would you please do something? That's a prayer of desperation. God, I love my dad, and he's leaving, and I don't know if I want him to leave or not because sometimes he does things that are hurtful, but sometimes he doesn't. I don't know what to pray. God, would you do something? God, are you there? God, do you love me? God, do you hear me when I call? Unspoken. 
those unspoken prayers become a doorway into our desire and a way that we begin to connect with God. God, would you meet me in that place? And along with that desperation comes a promise of provision. That Jesus would not teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, give us this day a bread that is everlasting, give us a bread that does not run out. God, deal with my fear and anxiety. Teach me about who you are in a way that would put all those fears to rest. Jesus would not teach us to pray like that if he had no intention of answering the prayer. How cruel would that be? to stir up all of those desires in us, these deep longings, and then say, yeah, 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 just, just, just hold on to those. No, he's saying, I've, I'm telling you to pray for those things because the, the heart of God the Father is to answer those prayers, is to come to you, is to meet you in the place of your deepest desire. Look at what the psalmist says uh, in verses six and seven in this prayer. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. He's saying there are plenty of people out there who are are calling God in as air support to get to their chosen path of happiness. Then he says in verse seven, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. What the psalmist is saying is that God has met him in this place of desperation and what he has done for him is he's given him joy right now. But nothing about the psalmist's situation has changed. He's still in a place where he is distressed and he's calling on God for relief. And in that place, God has come to him and given him joy in his heart right now. He said, so much joy, so much joy that it's more than all those jokers have when their grain and their wine abound. And that's a lot of joy because these people were farmers, right? When your grain harvest came in and you had more than enough, that was a huge reason for rejoicing. You would throw a big feast about it. You you would know my family now has enough bread that they're going to be able to eat all year and not be worried about it. I've actually got so much, I can go sell some to someone else and I can get that horse I wanted. There's so much joy here. But it's not just the grain, when the wine abounds. Whoa. That's good news, right? That means you can throw a party today, and you can throw a party the next day, and the next day, and the next day. You can throw a party all year. Do you know what it's like when you, when you, when there's a, when you, you get that thing that you do really want? And for a moment, there is that upsurge of happiness. You know that thing? That joy? It's almost as saying, God has given me that joy in the midst of my really challenging circumstances. Okay, that's great. That sounds great. But is that just the power of positive thinking? If you could just think yourself into happiness, right? Just convince yourself that God is abundant. You can just like feel the joy into yourself. Okay. And God has made a down payment on that promise. Give us this day a bread that does not leave us hungry, give us this day an everlasting bread. This is what Jesus says in John 4. 
And this is after. So he's just fed 5,000 people, or probably more than that, like 10,000 people, uh, by multiplying bread for them. And then he sails across the sea, and all the people who got fed by him over here run around and meet him over here. Why? Jesus knows it's because they want more bread. They're like, hey, can you do that bread trick again? Like, we've been following you around, and we don't want to work for the bread anymore. Can you just like, can you just give it to us? And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. True drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is the answer to the prayer he's teaching us to pray. Father, give us everlasting bread. He's given us his son. Jesus has given us himself. And like any bread, to eat it, the bread has got to be broken. And that's what happened with Jesus' body. That he gave himself to be broken. To come and to suffer, to experience the weight of judgment for our sin that it rested on him. That he gave his body to be broken so that we could come and feast on him. that we could come and be nourished by his presence. That because he did that, what he can promise us is that through his spirit, he is always with us. And those desires that we have, the unspokens that we bring before God in prayer, uh, that in those places of our desperation, of our desperately hurting hearts, in those places, Jesus is present with us. He's with you. Never leaving you. Never forsaking you. And it's really easy to shame um, our middle school prayers or our prayers from now that sound like middle school prayers. Like, come on, you shouldn't pray like that. You should pray more mature things, right? Pray for the everlasting happiness. Don't, don't pray about the test. That is not what I'm saying, okay? That is not the message of this passage. This is not about shaming you to like pray more theologically rich prayers. There... I was reading a book this week where, where the author said, you know, let's, let's just acknowledge here that Jesus didn't teach his disciples to pray for cake, okay? He taught them to pray for bread. So don't pray for what you want, just pray for what you need, people. Have you ever been told that? Like that's the way this kind of discussion about prayer goes. Like Jesus is the bread of life, so stop thinking about wanting to be happy, okay? Just like be more spiritual. That is not this at all. It's the opposite of this. The, the promise... You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. The psalmist is saying, yes, bring all of your desire for God and let those little things trace them, pull on the thread of them and discover what it is that they're really pulling on in your heart. I will tell you, I was trying to do that this week. Friends, that is hard work sometimes. 
to ask, God, what is it under the layers here that I'm actually longing for? Even that, the, I don't know what I'm longing for. Oh, what an invitation to prayer. God isn't asking us, don't ask for cake, just ask for bread. But guys, that's a crazy thing to say. He told us to ask for everlasting bread. What's better than that? So ask for it. Bring it all, guys. Bring it all. Oh, and this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God, give us Give us a bread that is everlasting. What it expresses is a dependence on a good and gracious Father. To come to Him and express our deep need to recognize your desires are so great. The weight of what you want in your life that is so good is more than you could ever get for yourself. Yes. And that is a scary thing. It's a scary thing because we have to recognize I have far less control than I think that I do. And it's a scary thing to then bring those requests to God because what if God says no? That's scary. And for some of you, God has been saying no to the request that you have been bringing him for a long time and it's really hard. It's also scary because what if God says yes? What if God gives you the thing you want and then you find out it didn't actually change everything and make you as happy as you thought it would? Then you've got to deal with that. I can tell you guys, I'm terrified of God saying yes to my prayers. My wife knows this about me. Every time something happens that I pray for, I have this moment where I get, I get, I start to panic. Wait, this is actually what I wanted. This happens when we pick names for our kids. We like pick a name. I've been, I've been saying, I, I really want to name our kid Banks for the longest time. We're going to Banks, 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 Banks. And he finally says, you know what, we should name him Banks. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think we should do it. It's a bad name. He's like, what are you talking about, right? It's that fear of what if I finally get what I want and then I find out I was wrong? What if it's not what I, what's all it's cracked up to be? It's terrifying. And God is saying, you can trust me. I'm a good and gracious father. You, I have given you my son. I've given you a bread that is everlasting, so bring it all to me. You can trust me. You can trust me with it. The little things and the little things that become the big things bring me all of that desperation. And that what we're going to find as we bring those prayers to God is we're going to discover what the psalmist discovers at the end of this verse, verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. At the end of this whole rigmarole that starts with all of this distress, that starts with talking about all of these people that seem to be against the psalmist, who are living in all of these ways, who are seeking after lies who are crying out, who will show us some good? And the psalmist says, no, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So bring it all. All of the small things, all this. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. All the small things. And all the small things that unravel to the big things. Bring all of those things to him. And that as you do, as you grow in that trust in his character, as you walk deeper into that swimming pool, what what you're going to get to experience is peace. And that as you experience the peace that comes from God, what you're going to discover is there are other longings in your heart that you're now invited to bring to him. So this week, that's going to be my challenge for the application 
right? We're going to go back to the beginning, right? We're getting the weight. So let's just say we got it up to here, right? Like we've done the deadlift, so it's sitting at our hips. Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next, we're, ne- we're isolating the next movement when we get it up here, okay? So this week, would you pray this prayer? Pray yourself through the Lord's prayer and then come back to, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. God, give us the bread that is everlasting and then bring your request to God. Like, practice that this week. Bring in those requests. Bring the small things that you can think of and then let him unspool those things with you. And if you get to that point and you think, I don't know what I want, then pray about that with God. Let him pull you deeper, uh, deeper into delight into relationship with him, into experiencing his presence. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we, um, we are a people who desperately desire to be happy. God, thank you for not shaming that desire in us, not beating us up because of that desire. Lord, thank you that you know that desire and that you have a desire to meet it that is even greater than our desire to have it met. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to do that through the person and the work of your son who is our everlasting bread. And Lord, as we feed on him now, as we worship you now, as we worship him now, through your Holy Spirit now, Lord, would you wake up our hearts Lord, would you wake up our hearts to the desires that you have put in them, Lord, and would you uh, draw us deeper into trusting you with those desires? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.